First John, hey Henry, First John 5, 1 through 5 this morning. Good to be back. <laughs> Thank you everybody for all <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you everybody for your help while I was gone. And always just anytime you are teaching, just how much it uh, sanctifies me and moves my heart so much, um, even though I talk too much. But this, uh, it, it almost feels unfair because I come back and then I only have to do five verses and you've all been struggling with like six, seven, eight. <laughs> it's so hard. But I do, I think, have to do an entire book near the end, but somebody else has to as well. And I think it's Jorge. So. Entire book? Yeah, like all of Second John and all of Third John. So we'll see how that goes. Um, you start this way. Okay, recap. Okay, recap. Here we go. Whole book. All right, 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Uh, this is the 13th week. Wow. I remember when we started. It's so nuts how quick it's been. Maybe faster for me because I've been doing married stuff. Um, so last week, Sean did an amazing job. He talked about 1 John 4, 13 through 21. The title was either comically or non-comically named The Power of Love. And it talked about how... God's love in his people gives us assurance of his presence, confidence awaiting the judgment, and power to reflect his character. So we are of assurance with his, you know, his omnipresence, he's here now, his confidence when he does come, and that was a very moving thing that we talked about last week, how it's so easy, I think, maybe for us older Christians who, particularly you guys, I'm kind of barely throwing myself into that camp, who would know our sin more and more the older that we get. It kind of gets harder and harder to be like, am I going to be confident when I see him face to face? And the Bible's telling us, right, to our face, yes. So we have to have faith that that is really the way that it is, that we really are wiped uh, white as snow or made white as snow and then the power to reflect his character to the world which of course with our current world and our current sin natures and everything going on with that is always a daunting task but certainly not impossible uh, we talked about how love is evidence that we have the spirit love gives us confidence as we await the day of judgment and love is a command love is a command because it reflects God's character the world talks about how love is a movement. Love is a many splendor thing. It's a command. <laughs> it's really what it is. And being a command is far more powerful than being a, an abstract thing we're trying to grab out of, oh, that was love, that was love right there. Let's do that, let's do that. Oh, it's gone, it's gone. Oh. It's like, no, it's in, it's in the Bible. And uh, I think it was the week before that Jorge talked about what is love? What is it really? Again, another comical, non-comical title. To this. What is love? And I think for the first time I realized love is Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and raised from the dead. That is what love is. It's the story of the gospel. 100%. And then you can talk about your Harry Met Sally's and meeting on top of the Empire State Building. But... It's that, that's love. So today we're looking at one through five and they call this the birthmarks of the children of God. The birthmarks of the children of God. If you want to turn to 1 John one through five, looks like pretty much everybody's there. Do you need a Bible, Rick? Are you good? Or are you one of those phone people? That's pretty fancy, pretty fancy. Have fun with your texts. I'm just kidding, that's great. We have to, have, we have to diversify. The white man with his phone. First <laughs> John 5, 1 through 5. The main idea of the lesson is going to be that true Christians will display evidence of being God's children, including right beliefs about God and holy living before God. Something we've talked about before, but we're going to come at it from like a slightly different angle, which will hopefully make it sink in even more, as this is obviously things that we struggle with. Um, in considering how we displace evidence of being God's children, 
how we display evidence of being God's children, um, having the right beliefs about God and living in a holy way before God in this dark world, we'll be looking at three specific birthmarks. Why birthmarks? They're obviously, we're not going to be talking about little permanent brown and red marks on our skin. Um, the Bible is much, much deeper than that, as opposed to our culture, which apparently loves to talk about skin. Uh, it is very, very much deeper than that. It talks about who we are as people. It talks about the way we think, the things that we do. Um, the kind of thing that we're talking about with birthmarks today is less tangible, but more so things like, like father, like son, or she is so much like her mother. Those kind of birthmarks. Uh, just to start off, before we dig into the text, what are some ways that children are like their parents, but not in the physical sense? Not like, well, they have the same checklist of walking nose. No, what are some ways that you've noticed, especially in your own experience, that kids are like parents in ways that are not like the physical, in ways that they... You know, in other ways. How they deal with conflict. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love writing this down, thinking about a kid. Conflict resolution. They're going to mimic almost everything you can say. What they do. <laughs> Actions. They're gonna mimic what you do. No. What? In general, what you're passionate about, even though they may, they, oh, okay, they will choose a different way. It's still gonna be the core passion. I think that's the same with perspective. <clears throat> Children will often maintain their parents' perspective until a certain point when they become extremely independent. Extremely. Well, yeah. I mean, because even even many teenagers, even some young adults, will will maintain a parent's perspective because it's comfortable that they know. But then at some point, right, they get that flash of independence, and they're like, "Oh wow, I can think for myself, and I can." I mean, beyond what a child does, you know, there's a point in early adulthood I think where you really grasp the fact that you're your own person. Mm. And for some, I think that happens in teen years, and for some, I think that happens in twenties. Yeah. I definitely think we solidify when we're older, but people are so malleable, it's ridiculous. Huh? Sure, sure. Jesus, I'm just kidding. To the point. The faith of your parents cannot be your childish faith. Sure. It has to be well, It has to be your own. <clears throat> but they can have a faith like their parents in that it is the same faith. Same Jesus, yes. And wrapped into that faith is a lot of stuff, and that's going to kind of point us toward... What were you going to say, Henry, by the way? Well, you can put teens plus they want to be different. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In other words, yeah. something that sets them apart from the parents, you know, different. Later, you might call it the years of rebellion. <laughs> um, so the ones that we're going to be talking about, and this kind of all points to it, especially the last one, but all of these do, is things that we can't touch, right? We're talking about our beliefs, the correct beliefs, right? And that's something he's been touching on a lot in this book. He's been talking about, oh, it's so good. He's been talking about how it's not just that they're going to come at you with something that's wrong, like that's something that's contrary. They're going to come at you with something that's an error. And then they're going to work on that. And then they're going to make it contrary. And then they're going to work on that. And then they're just going to make it the truth. So we have to have right beliefs, right beliefs. This is something passed down from God to us as children. We have to have the right love, the moral, the morality. Our morality is totally wrapped up in love. It's wrapped up in Jesus died on the cross for your sins because he just gives himself and you can't explain it. You can't explain it. It's just that moving. It's that miraculous. One thing that's important that bears on all of this sure. and is relevant particularly in our society today is the idea of truth. Is, 
Uh, yeah. Objective. Is, yeah. Is there objective truth and um, that kind of that's being? I mean, that's even beyond the worldview. That's you know how you believe. Um, if yeah, if there is truth, if there is even absolutes, and yeah, that. I think reflect. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of times that does reflect. But unfortunately, for generation to generation, that reflects the declining um, respect for truth. We right. You know, I was listening to uh, my favorite podcast guy on Peter McGee. Jay Bird McGee. And you heard that name? Jay Bird McGee. Yeah. Anyway, he said something. I go, wow. I don't think I agree with him at all on this. Although I just thought he were so, you know, the truth and that was so ingrained with our culture today. And he grew up during that time that the secular world was saying we've got too many people on the earth that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna destroy the earth. There's just too many people here. And and uh, I guess I'd always read Genesis where uh, God said go out there and multiply. And then after 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 the flood, the same thing. And I've never questioned that. And I guess if I've done anything, I, I've always said, well, that's as a Christian, that's still in effect. I'm not necessarily one of those people who I know that you know every every two years my wife was pregnant. Was because of lack of trying. No, two years. Every two years. <laughs> but but so so you know the whole thing about controlling controlling populations. And I just thought to myself. Jay Bird McGee, the reason he was saying that was because during that time he was greatly influenced. Greatly influenced. By, by the way the secular people, the world, the science are saying we've got too many people. And if you guys want some Jay Bird McGee, we've doubled, if not tripled, what you got right there. And it's not because there's too many people, it's always because of sin and the way that we, you know, the way the whole. You know, all the, all the families and stuff in Africa was caused, not because people couldn't do anything, because there's unstable government. Yeah. Like you plant your fields, and then somebody comes and wipe it all out. Well, pretty hard to have crops when every, every time you try to do something, it uh, gets <laughs> wiped out, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what's unique about the United States. Nebraska's going to have a record uh, corn crop this year. Hmm. Well, that's one way you fight your enemy is destroy our food supply. Right, right. And if you want to look at it, read Revelations and these people that you talk about are going to get their des desire when the third and the fourth part of the population is wiped out. Right. So, but I just thought it was interesting how, how influenced J. Bird McGee was of that, of the truth. Does that kind of make sense to me, kind of what you're saying? Yeah. And, and, and Somebody who studies the Bible all the time, it's his job, it's his job to relate it to other people. He was influenced by um, his culture at a specific time when he was born. And I'm not trying to say and that I'm not influenced. <laughs> here, it's different because we're born again, which we're going to look at in a second when we read the text, but he was born in a specific time. He was affected by certain things, and we all are, right? Right. And those things can be contrary to what we should believe, probably, but maybe helpful in the way that we carry them out. That's what I'm finding as a Christian. It probably shouldn't influence what you believe, but what you've been through and the things that you've seen and how you've been influenced can maybe certainly help the people around you because it can help you connect with people on a more personal level. But it shouldn't affect, you know, what the Bible says. And it shouldn't affect these. The fact that we'll have the right beliefs, we'll have the rile love, we'll have right behavior. These are not, no, I, I'm sorry. Uh, if anybody feels here, including myself, if anybody feels here like, well, no, no well. This is the way it is. We have the right beliefs. We have the right love and the right behavior. This is the way that God wanted it to be. It's passed down with who he is when we are born again. It depends. And on uh, what? It depends how you define the word right. Right. We can, we can argue about you definitions know, all day. Society is going to have a different right sure. than uh, Christianity. But as this is passed down from God, I would assume you would think that would be right. Right? Something passed down from God. It's probably right. 
So the letter, it talks about these three, but it talks about six specific identifying evidences of these marks. That's kind of what we're going to look at today. Um, and write one more thing before we go into reading the verses. Why do you think he's going to do this for us? Why do you think John is going to give us six evidences that prove to us that we have these marks? What's the point of that? So I certainly don't think it's, I'm a Christian, you're not. I don't think that's the point. I think as a Christian, that's when you're a kid, that's how it feels like, I'm a Christian, you're not. But what does it mean now? Mm -hmm. We need that evidence as humans. Oh, yes, but why do we need it? Why do we need it? What does that fall under? There's a word we use a lot. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going ahead or not, but overcoming. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. And there's something that we feel as we're overcoming, right? That assurance, confidence, yes. Assurance, confidence, and yes. It's all tied together. Assurance. He knows, and why is he giving us this? Probably, like most things in the Bible, because we probably are bad at this. We're probably bad at being assured, even though we know Jesus died for us, and we know that the miracles are real, we know that he resurrected from the grave, and that scientists mostly agree that that is very profound and very real. We know all those things. We still in ourselves, oh, I don't know. I struggle. It's difficult. I feel bad today, and I don't know how to be righteous. And uh, if you remember the previous uh, warnings about Antichrist and the false Christ and all that, in other words, uh, yes some recognition there. Yeah, I know you've made friends with these people. These people have come into your church. They've taught you something different. You had meals together. You were friends. And then they left. And they split your church in two. It's like, ugh. I've watched it. I'm sure you've all seen it before. What that does to a Christian. How it hurts a Christian so deeply. So not just assurance for the sin within, but assurance for the circumstances that we're going to face, which God's going to use to grow us. So he's like, you're on the path still. It's okay. You're going to be grown by this. But stick to what you know about what you've been passed down. Let's read uh, 1 John 5, 1 through 5. I'll read verse 1, and then we'll popcorn around. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Amen. And just for, uh, just let it sink in more. I'm going to read it again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And you know what? Let's do it one more time. Henry, do you want to read 1 through 5 from your translation? Oh, from mine? Yeah. Okay. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving and carrying out his commandments. This is the love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, 
This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the NIV version. That's an interesting one. The, the, even our faith, that was an interesting one. So with the first verse, the first uh, evidence he's looking at for these is in verse 1, he says it is that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you see where he's saying that? You know, born of Christ. Christ born of Christ, right? I was having a major brain fart when I was working on this, and I was just like, where does it say that? <laughs> to read it many times. I just kept seeing Jesus Christ. I kept not seeing the Christ. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so dumb. Christ is the anointed one. Yes, the anointed one. Um, and so he jumps right like he, and I think we could really learn a lot from this, um, and we probably have been. John is so quick to jump to Jesus every time. So he immediately raises the doctrinal uh, Christological issue. Boom, right here, verse 1. And he brings it back in verse 5. It's like a bookend. He reminds the church that the true Christianity always comes back to Jesus. I know it sounds stupid, but it's, it's our problem. It's like, Christianity is about Jesus. Um, yeah, particularly that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah of the lost, the leader and savior of those who confess their sinfulness and need for him, following him for the rest of their lives and accepting what he's done for them. I like we talked about last week, Jesus was the Christ that both was the example of how God loved us first uh, with his promise in Genesis 3.15, because he fulfills that promise. Everybody who believes that promise going forward has faith. They have faith in the promise. And now we have faith in the promise that came true um, in Christ. And then so he's also, he's not just the example, he's also the act of loving us first as well. By taking our place on the cross, taking our sins upon himself, and enduring the wrath of God that was meant for us to pulverize that sin. Uh, Another Spurgeon moment um, in the book, which is over here. And I won't read the whole thing because even I start to, even I, what a stupid thing to say. Uh, I, like many others, after a while I'm like, this is over my head. But the beginning is very, very moving. Um, He's talking about how important the person of Christ is. Uh, They quote it and he says, The faith intended in the text evidently rests upon a person. Upon Jesus. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, right? It is not a belief about a doctrine, nor an opinion, nor a formula, but belief concerning a capital P person. It's about a person. You translate the words, and it's whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, like you were saying, and they stand thus, whoever believes that the Savior is the anointed is the born of God. Um, And so Jesus wasn't an idea or a construct or a metaphor or a natural law, um, a metaphor for a natural law. He was a person who loved us first. And as a person, he was a prophet. He was a priest. He was a king. And he spoke the truth to us. He paid the sacrificial penalty. He anointed us with his spirit and he ruled as the defeater of sin and death. As As Paul talks about in Romans 5, 18 through 19, just digging into the person. We believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He was a person who did this stuff, right? He was a person who did this. Uh, he talks about it well in uh, Romans 5, 18 through 19. Paul says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is what he did, and we believe this. Looking at the second one, it's we have been born of God. And John will allude to the new birth three times in these these verses. Uh, What do you think he's pointing back to when he's talking about being born again? 
Nicodemus thing. Yeah, what's the chapter of uh, that book? It's John, right? Yeah. So he's referring back to what he's documented before. John 3. John 3. Amazing, amazing chapter. So you're saying that I'm just saying this is something that we've seen before. Um, although I think the Gospels are written after the letters, so I'm not sure. <laughs> this is something that has happened before, as we see the whole story play out as we read it. Uh, were you going to say something, though? No, I just wonder. Yeah, he he doesn't really flesh it out. It's it's a, it's like a it's an assumed theology. Right. Yeah. It's very assumed. I think it's assumed because Christ taught it, and I'm sure it's spread, right? And then we get the documented in the gospel. But this idea that Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? I'm sure a lot of people are like, what's that guy talking about? Come out of your mother again? I don't understand. Um, so this is something, this is a theme that earlier too, so alluding, right? Earlier in chapter 2, um, 29 as we call it, but earlier in the letter, he alluded to this before, and he's going to finish talking about it uh, either next week or the following week in 5.18. But he's pulling again from John 3.3 3, when Christ tells him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And John makes three observations about the new birth and the evidences related to this birthmark that we have been born of God. Uh, he makes these, he finds these evidences in verse 1 and verse 4. Three of them. They're found in verse 1 and 4. Can you guys figure out which ones they are? Basically, every evidence would start with, um, those who have been born of God give witness concerning... There's these three things that are evidences. We talk about the fact that we love, love each other. Sure. Yep. That's one of them. That uh, those who have been born of God give witness by loving the Father and His children. And where'd you find that? I didn't. I just. That's that's like a second Jesus thing. Instead of saying Jesus, like, are we just talking about how we love each other? Is that what we're talking about? No, we're talking about. <laughs> well, you, you go back to 47. If we love one another, for love is from God, right? Yes. Let, let's just love one another. Absolutely. And in verse 1, if you see it, the second half, or B, as some would say, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. What are a couple more? There's one in four and one in one. Another one in one. Boom. I missed it. And then four. Verse number four. Yeah. For sure. They they overcome the world, right? And in, inside of that is jumping forward would be uh, obeying his commands. Um, so we have these three that we believe that he is the Messiah, that we love others and love his children, um, and that uh, that we continually overcome the world. That's a very different way to describe a Christian than I think is taught in most places, other than you know church or discipleship Bible group, to overcome the world. Um, wow. More or less overcoming the bad influences of the world. Sure. And that kind of overcoming, as it says later, is is not like a once and for all thing. It's a constant, constant overcoming. Again and again, victory every single day. Um, Do you see? I guess we'll get there a bit. Sure. We'll, we'll wait until we get there. Okay. <laughs> no problem. Uh, and... Was it the goal, just to refresh, was it the goal of Jesus to die on a bloody cross to make us kinder and nicer people? Was that his goal? Make us kinder and nicer? Uh, yeah, I don't even think I, I can even kind of be like, well, kind of. No, the, the answer is no. <laughs> like, we don't even know how to be kind, right? Um, so it was to make us kind in general, to make us nice in general, like Christ. You can keep shaking your head if you want. It was to make us like Jesus Christ. 
And before that, we had no kindness, no niceness. Taking the old lady across the whatever it was, if they had roads yet, but <laughs> I think they did, was uh, something, I guess. It felt okay. Um, it was, uh, he died on the cross so that we could be born again. Not so that we could partake of things that we already kind of knew and kind of do them better. No, this is a refresh. Start over. No, you, this is bad. It's time for you to start over. Uh, how do we show this to our community? We show this to our community at Center Baptist Church. How do we do that on a pretty you know, regular basis as often as we can? What it means to be born again. We literally share this with our community. It's so cool that we do this. That's part of it. What does that lead to? Demonstration of love. It is a demonstration of love. Perfect. What's that demonstration of love that we do together? We, we, come to, we come together we come together for worship service and sometimes we do this together <laughs> we partake we partake in watching somebody be baptized they're put down and why does that symbol why, why, why does that symbolize being born again being baptized uh, yes see it even looks like it yes in words in words in words in words in words Sure, picture a thousand words. Resurrection. Clean. Right. I mean, that's why immersion is so important, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, coming from a Catholic upbringing, where Catholics don't immerse for baptism. Right. That's my interpretation of of baptism Mm -hmm. now. It's it's that immersion, it's that cleansing of your old self, and here you are new. Yep, I see both. I think they're, it's kind of like this kind of beautiful act that we found that kind of affects people in both ways when they see it. It's almost like going down into clean water and being cleansed, right, by the blood of Christ. But it's also being buried into death. I go down to death like Christ did. Refresh. We got to start over. All right, you're dead. Now let's start over. Now, raised to walk in the newness of life, right? Raised to walk, born again. Now, this this is huge. People know about this stuff with us. This should be a very obvious doctrinal or, or uh, doctrinal and moral and social <laughs> mark for all of us. Baptism, uh, being able to explain it like, dude, I had nothing. I had to start over. I could not fix it. The fire burned my house down. So, what are you gonna say? Well, I'm teasing a little bit. Sure. Huh? No, no, I've heard about this, though. It's filthy. Yes! It's filthy! And they would dunk them in it. Well, that's why... That's the perfect there, illustration. That's why that what's-his-name there well, said, said, they said, go dip yourself in the water, was it, five or seven times in the Jordan River? He said, what? There's plenty of other clean rivers I can do that back home? That's the Jordan River? Are you kidding me? Might as well do the Ganges, dude. So, anyway... It's a great example. Now, Ferguson talks about that. Why do you think I haven't gone to the Jordan River? Well, it's so good, isn't it? Because it represents the sin of God. The sin. He was buried in. in death. Sorry. I love that guy. I wish I could do it. Um, the third one is we love the Father and we love his family. We see that in 1 through 2. Again. Uh, as Jeff blurted out, but is also in the verses. <laughs> no, and it was earlier in the, in the letter. Uh, we love the father and his family. Um, Matthew 12. Does everybody remember what happens in Matthew 12? He's in Matthew 12. He's dealing with like, oh, the Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then he heals that guy's hand. He's talking to the guys inside of the sanctuary. And then his family comes outside and starts asking for him. And what does he say? remember this? Who's my brother? Yeah, basically. It says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and, my, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. 
I don't know which one was like, am I the mother? But it's like, no, here are my mother and my brothers. For uh, whoever does the will, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of my father, which will come into, and since we're losing time anyway, let's jump into the next one. Five, two, three, three. They'll know and evidence is that we obey his commands. He's kind of tied together. Well, they all kind of tie together, really, the more that you look at them. And the further that we get in this letter, which I think is so useful for us because it starts to just all tie together. Like, well, I have to obey to love. I got to love to evangelize. And the only reason I can do that is because I was born again. And the only reason I can do that is because Jesus died. Oh, there's a lot to think about. A lot to be thankful for today instead of stubbing my toe. Um... What was it that, here, let me go back for a second. Um, He says that whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We believe this. We believe that we love the Father and we love his family. We love the Father and we want to do his will and we love his family. And who is his family? Those who also want to do his will. And we'll get to also into obeying his commands. His, his commons, apparently. His commons. <laughs> um, what compels, this is personal, what compels you specifically? In your own words, if you can. But I realize the Bible comes out if you've been studying it a lot. What compels you to do the will of your Father in heaven? Like, what compels you? And then, even with all of your thoughts, like, what does it really come down to that compels you? If you love me, you do what you say, what I say. Well, Corday, listen, man. <laughs> when you go right to it, two more examples. I would say fear. Okay. Like I recently read, was it Amos? I think it was in Amos, um, where God says that He will have a famine, and it's not the famine that we would think of, you know starvation stuff. It's a famine of people not being having access to his word. Mm-hmm. They want it and they search for it. And when I read that, it was, I mean, it instilled fear in me because it was, it, if I don't trust him and his ways and I don't listen and I don't obey those commands, his wrath is scary. Yeah, that's very real. It's, um, I'm sure many of you have had way worse experiences, but I've talked about it before. I was in a flash flood and I couldn't see, and I realized that I was in between two SUVs in a two lane road. And I was like, and, and for me, it was just money. I was afraid to, <laughs> I didn't have a lot of money. I was afraid I was gonna hit one of them, these nice SUVs and get in trouble because I've somehow been pulled into the middle of the, <laughs> like I'm the one at fault. Somebody pulled up to my left at some point because they couldn't see me and then I scooted over and now I'm been stuck between them. But to this day, I still get scared of flash floods. It's not because I don't love the Lord. It's not because the Lord doesn't love me. It's because, man, I really skated by there. That was terrifying. You know, and I know it's not the same because when we look to last week, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. It's still, as Christians, it's still easy to think about that punishment. And it's a good thing. And fear needs Yes. What it's like to not to go the, to stray out the right path, mm-hmm. and from that we get wisdom to know that well, this is the right way to go. Yeah. So it's sort of like it's. it's very yeah, we yeah, we, we don't want to get confused. We we don't want to start applying Star Wars Jedi theology, which is apparently that fear and love are bad. Uh, <laughs> no, they're both good. <laughs> Sorry, I heard somebody making fun of that recently, and it was cracking me up. It was like, we're the Jedi! We forbid love! <laughs> it's like, it's like they're, are these even good people? Um, well, in, <laughs> in, in my way, I think sometimes, maybe it's fair too, but <clears throat> I think a little bit is that of uh, honor respect of God. That so maybe makes sense. The reason I do stuff is because I... You know, as a son or as a uh, uh, brother, I want to. I, I do it because 
I, you know, I represent God, so I want to honor Him and respect Him. Does that kind of make sense? With sure. That? Yeah. Exactly. Well, that could be classified into fear a little bit too, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. I'm not at all negating, and you're absolutely right, uh, both of you, Bethany and, and uh, Mike. But at the same time, you've got Christ in John fourteen fifteen, like we've been talking about, saying, "If you love me, you'll keep my commandments." And that should that should reckon us, because the fear is a good thing, and I, I know it's a good thing. I know personally, so I can't deny you that, of course. But at the Bible, at the same time, the Bible is like it's love, love, like love is what compels you. Love is what makes you want to follow these commandments. Um, and uh, I think it's love because when you have love, you have that that very long, very lots of quality time relationship with God. I don't know. You, I don't know. When you talk about that, it makes me think of my dad. When when I was young, I was just scared of my dad, and that was it. And then it wasn't until later in life that I actually started to love him. I don't know. And I'm not. I'm not throwing an exact comparison. I'm just saying, like, sometimes it's a process. You love them, but you knew that uh, good whooping uh, it was going to cost you. Yes, I'm just saying that. I'm not saying it's just an example, but God, it used to be in balance for me. The godly fear that we talk about as Christians, though, it's been brought up in previous. It's like with your dad, or maybe we just brought this up recently in sermon with his dad. It's like. The fear is I, I, I fear to fall short. I fear like I'm gonna fail because I respect and love him. So it's godly fear. Sure. His heart is sort of wrapped up with in love, or it's it's compatible with our love for for the Lord. You know. I think you're right. I think it's wrapped up. Yeah. I I, I, I don't you know. I, I don't want to fall short. At, mm -hmm. at the end of at the judgment, it's not like I'm not going to be afraid of being cast in hell. My oh, fear, yeah, for my sure. My fear is, wow, the ways that I sort of have fallen short in this life, you know, mm -hmm. that's part of our love. That's part of our love. Yeah. I, yeah. The only reason I was getting into it is like somebody could say righteousness. Somebody could be like, what compels me is righteousness. I want to be righteous. I've had times in my life where that's what compelled me. It's like, I just want to do good. I'm so sick of people doing bad, including myself. I just want to do good. And that's a good thing. But I think ultimately, what the Bible says that it leads to, whether it's the fear or the righteousness, or some, somebody might just be like, I am, I am a, uh, an author, and this is the best book I've ever read. And that's why I believe. That's why I do what God says. Because this is the best book I've ever read. Maybe that could be what drives them. But ultimately, I think it comes... Two, we all together come to love. It's because we love him, because he loved he loved us first. But there's all kinds of drivers. I'm not going to deny that. Um, well, one thing is when looking at his commands, it's it's helpful to remember that these commands, he's got our best interests in mind. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, if we bail, our best interests. Yeah, it's not that thing of like. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. You know, it's like, if you love me, you'll obey Like, Like, you'll know that I presented these commands to you for a very specific reason, for your growth, because I love you. Why would I send my son down here to become and to the likeness of man to tell you these things that you were already supposed to know, but to remind you so that you could be saved? I think that's what he's saying in verse 3. His commandments are not burdens. Trust him. Yeah, it's not it's not blind faith and blind obeying. He's so merciful and showing why he's trustworthy. Yeah, expand on that if you don't mind. I was going to ask you guys that, uh, and that's next. What what does he mean by not burdensome? If you can continue on that. Well, that's the thing about righteousness. It's the right thing to do. He's doing the right thing because he's the right thing to do. Sure. So what are we told? Follow my commandments. Do my commandments. Not because you like them, not because you love them, not because nothing. You just do it because I tell you to do it. 
What happens, though, when you're dealing with a Christian and they're trying to do that? Let's say... Let's say they're continuing to visit their wife who has dementia. And it's, it's been fine for a while, but it's starting to tear them apart. And they want to follow the Bible. They want to be a good husband. They want to be loving. They want to be understanding. But it is really, really tearing them apart. How do you explain to them that it's not burdensome? Then you look at it the other way. Sure. The other way he says, why do you keep on coming if she doesn't remember who you are? I, I know who she is. So uh, I'm going to have a commitment. I made a commitment, so I'm going to stick by that commitment. I'm going to stick by that commitment. Okay, sure, go ahead. Uh, it's not that it's not hard. I mean, right. Christians, we're going to be in very difficult situations. Some yes. Yes, some, like Paul has told us about his experiences, very difficult. Some are going to deal with extreme temptations, and some will struggle their entire life until they die. And mm-hmm. Christian struggling and with this, and it's hard, it's difficult. What do you, I think what he's talking about here is sort of like what we we wrestle with all these things, and you know, it's like you know, the fear of God, the love of God, following the commandments. I think. I think this is sort of his way of saying, of bringing this all together, and that this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. We all fail and fall, fall on our face, and His commandments are not burdensome. These aren't here to, to, to make it worse. Stuff like that. As Christians, we're not we're not ground down by the requirements of the law. Mm-hmm. We are born as children, and we, the love compels us to follow the commandments. But we fail. We fall short. Right. And they're not burdensome. They don't grab And this ties into, is it First Corinthians, where he's like, you will not be tempted beyond what you're able. And then you also have the Old Testament law of, like, parents, do not exasperate your children. Yeah. He would never tell us to do that and not do it himself. I, I think you're right. I think that's what it means. I think it's very clear that I know that some. I, I had a friend who I spoke to a lot, and he would take things a lot harder than I would. And coming out of that relationship, I realized, like, dude, this hurts for a lot of people. This life is very difficult for a lot of people. I know that you might be so hopeful and so, like, ready to go sometimes, but you have got to understand people are really, really suffering. And... Well, on top of that, like you said, though, it's not there to ground you down. It's there to build you up, to yeah. be like Christ, to, to taste the blessings of Jesus. There's no alternative. And if you go out to the world, are you going to taste the blessings of Christ? It's worth it. Well, Johnny Mac brings out something I thought was kind of interesting. Kind of what you're saying, okay, you know, especially the, the Pharisees made burdensome requirements to try to keep the wall. Sure. In other words, you, you know, you only walk so far, you know, and after that, if you do that, you sin. Yes. And he brought up the example, uh, I was thinking of the example like King David, right? Who was against the law to eat the leaven, or the bread there, set out there in the show. Right. Show thing. Bread of the presence. Yeah, what, you're right. And he was hungry. The guys are hungry. They ate it. <laughs> and God didn't strike him dead. Right. So in other words, Christ said, the law was there, mm-hmm. but it's not burdensome. Yep. AK, you know, he says, you know, they said, well, what are you healing on the Sabbath? He says, so am I supposed to heal on the Sabbath? You know? Right. And, and Paul, Paul over in Galatians, these Gentiles don't want to get it cut off. It's not necessary. We have been set free. <laughs> like, right. It's right. not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for digging into that, everybody, more so, so we can understand it better. Um, the fifth one is that we have overcome the world. This is always cool. Have you read this about this, like in Greek, like the Nike thing? You know, talk about it's kind of cool. So, the word overcome that we see in uh, verse uh, four. We see it twice, and then we see victory. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Well, overcome is Greek nikeo. It means to conquer, to carry off the victory, to come off victorious. 
And victory is the Greek Nike. It means to conquer, the means of success, victory. And Nike was the name of the Greek goddess of victory and speed and strength. And Nike's Roman name was Victoria, the kind of victory that we see in this is seen as a constant victory. So there's a couple more ties that you could bring into the world with you. It's like somebody can be talking to you and be like, your very shoe. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> or um, you'd be talking to somebody named Victoria and be like, you know, your name is a very beautiful name for a very specific reason. And I talked to you about that. Um, but this kind of overcoming... Uh, what does it mean? What does it mean victory over the world? What does overcoming and victory over the world kind of look like? I think I would study on, on the overcome part. In the other verse, not the overcome by evil, but uh, overcome evil with good. And that is an awesome word because it is not something that you do alone, Yeah. but it's something that you do in a flood. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It is it is something that you're going to you're going to not do just one time, but it's like keep on coming. Mm -hmm. I compare it to that uh, cage fighting. I don't hmm. know if you guys have ever seen it. Once you do the first one contact, and you know the guy just kind of shakes it off for a second. And it comes again. And and again. And and you don't stop until the ref pulls you off. Right. Okay. That's wow. Of, okay. That's kind of what it's saying. Know, overcome it means that it's gonna attack and you're mm -hmm. gonna be an attack mode. Now when it says overcome evil with good, that means that you gotta you think back to Paul when it says, I'm gonna keep on doing good. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's just gonna put calls on your head. Yeah. Oh man. I think we definitely saw that in Christ, right? We definitely saw that in Paul, in a more quiet way, we saw that in John. He was there along with him the whole time, not giving up, writing down everything, you know. Um, again, never meaning that if there's times where you're kind of, you got to rest for a moment, of course, of course. But the picture of the Christian is the picture that I'm seeing that you're illustrating. It's not stopping, continuing forward, pushing forward like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. Just never giving up. But the rest is still doing good, though. Yes. Like, it takes so much energy to do good. It seems like maybe sometimes I can rest and be bitter and angry and lose my temper. That seems more restful than to continue to do good. But right. I think here with faith... Because you can't do good with a horrible attitude. <laughs> with faith, we can continue them with, with good and, and we can rest and do mm -hmm. good. Yeah, so, so this is what I was going to say earlier and may, maybe I was putting too much into it but That's fine. It, it's almost like like this is a, like this is an evidence or this is a sign that you are born that, that you are born of God. Um, again, I don't at least the way I'm reading it, I don't think that's what you're getting at. I think what you're getting at, this is your true condition. Whether you think it, whether it looks like that or not. Sure. You've overcome the world. This is your true state. Which mm -hmm. I think that flows out from these commandments are not burdensome. You know, you're yeah. not to be ground down. You're not to be ground down. You've overcome the world because you, you know, for everyone who's been born of God, overcome the world. This is your true state. And, sure. And this is the victory. You know, it's not us. It's our faith. You know, it's through Jesus Christ. So. Mm -hmm. I think that'll tie into the last one because it's a constant believing, right? It's not like, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God once and I'm good to go and now I'm going to go sin and do whatever. I'm not going to read the Bible. No, it's like it's a constant belief that grows and grows and grows. It's our faith. But that enables us, I do think it still ties in with what Hori was saying, that enables us to step forward. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, fists yeah. up, good to go, for, for good, for love, for all these things. Oh, yeah. Yes. It, it has Sorry. to grow. It has to be, become, <clears throat> yeah. be abiding in Christ, you know, do the things mm -hmm. that have been talking about. This will become visible. It, yes. Know, this will, will and it, start to match up with what we are mm -hmm. in, you know, yeah and it jumps back to chapters it jumps back to 216 if you want to turn there you don't have to but 
It says that for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, this is not from the Father, but is from the world. And that is definitely what both of you are saying, well, what you're both saying in general, of that that is the way things are now and that is the way things are going to stay, right? And that's shown in different ways. It's shown with the justification and the sanctification. It's once and for all, I am done with this stuff. This stuff has no rule over my life. The desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life. But at the same time, I, you will see me fighting them. You will see me fighting them in myself, in the world, in Satan, as a light in this world. You will see me burning very bright, and sometimes it might burn your eyes. And I hope that you burn my eyes too. Let's all burn, our, <laughs> burn each other's eyes together. <laughs> but it'll be both for sure. Um, and what's cool is... What are you saying? We are not doing or approving of the evil practices of the world or the society. Exactly. Um, and it's, a, it's our faith. And we see that in Ephesians as a shield. You're going to see us, yes, coming forward, but just protecting ourselves from the world because of what we believe. And Son of God is obviously different than Messiah, right? Because Messiah is this person came and they did incredible things that freed a bunch of people. And that can be confused with like, well, yeah, they could, they could do that and not be God. Well, the reality is the Son of God. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. No questions asked. If you find yourself in the middle of a conversation and you kind of want to lean out a little bit, like, well, he was a good man. He'd be like, yeah, he was a good man. Um, like... Don't, don't walk away from the conversation being like, I just said Jesus was a good man. That's all I said. That's not who I am. That's not what I believe. Um, he was the God man. And this is the part that takes intense faith, right? We can see this. We can see this in ancient history. This takes some pretty serious faith here, which we could also see pieces in ancient history. But this is very personal. That's something the book pointed out. This is the kind of thing that you believe and nobody can take away from you whatsoever. If I believe that Jesus is God, it's over. Like, contrary to, like, in Galatians, whatever gospel they bring in front of you, it, I don't care if an angel beams down from heaven, this is yours now. Nobody takes this away. And that ties in what you're talking about, Mike. This is an overcome. Nobody takes away this overcoming of the world. Mm -mm, no, thank you. Nobody takes that away. Nobody. And that's why anytime I talk to anybody and they're kind of shaky in this area, I'm like, oh, I want to encourage you. <laughs> like, I want to encourage you because this is like, this is solid stuff. The you know? Amen. Martyrs today. Yeah. There will be plenty today. Yeah. Um, and we're out of time. I'll just read. Uh, there's obviously so much more I wanted to talk about, but that's the way it goes. And I love you guys. And thank you for everything you brought up. Um, the end was really cool. I kind of want to Google this when I get home. I haven't gotten a chance, but... So, every now and then in this book, they just throw you some gold... There's this thing called the Lubeck Cathedral. Has anybody heard of this? The, you see what you have on this? The Lubeck Cathedral. It's the first thing I have no idea what it is. Huh? <laughs> I've heard of it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a Lutheran church. Um, you can look it up. It's completed. It was begun in 1773, completed in 1230. So there's this famous inscription on this cathedral. And the inscription reads on one of the walls, Ye call me master, and obey me not. Ye call me light, and see me not. Ye call me way, and walk me not. Ye call me life, and desire me not. Ye call me wise, and follow me not. Ye call me fair, and love me not. Ye call me rich, and ask me not. Ye call me eternal, and seek me not. Ye call me gracious, and trust me not. Ye call me noble, and serve me not. Ye call me mighty, and honor me not. 
Ye call me just and fear me not. There you go, Bethany. If I condemn you, blame me not. We have to know. We're going to go? I've heard that before, but I never knew it was called the Lubick Cathedral. Well, it's just, it's inscribed on the walls, on one of the walls, I guess. Oh, because I heard that on the radio from somebody, somebody was talking about it. Mm-hmm. Might have been the Eve. <laughs> <laughs> but I, just take, I think it was. I would just take that with you that these things uh, that we believe are so. I don't know if you guys ever forget, I do sometimes. That these things that we believe are so not what the world believes. And they're so not what our sin wants to believe. But who God is, is so painfully deserving of these beliefs. <laughs> and there's, there's, you know, it's that song. It's, uh, I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no going back, no turning back. Um, once you get a taste, it's just, it's over. So these are our birthmarks. We've been born again. I, I know faithfully everybody in this room. And um, let's share these with people this week. Um, any final uh, comments or questions here? Well, there's the last one. I was trying to find it here someplace in John, more or less. That's your test of a, if there. Do you confess that Jesus is God come in the flesh? Right. It's some verse here. I was trying to find it where it is, you know, test of whether it's a cult or something else. Yeah, he's had a lot of tests in this letter. What a cool thing. He's, so, he's got all these tests, like, in his pocket. He just pulls them out. And um, there's, it's definitely at the beginning, right? The who we have seen and heard and touched, 